At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. A burning sensation when urinating can spell trouble with a capital T. UTIs happen to over 3 million a year just in the United States alone. Women suffer urinary tract infections the most, but could also strike men too. Symptoms like fever, pelvic and urination pain, as well as abdominal pain are just some of the symptoms, and left unattended, it can spread from the bladder to the kidney, causing a cascading event of problems. So what triggers it, and what can be done to avoid them? I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco, a preventive cardiologist and leader at Baptist Health South Florida. Here to help you and me understand the UTI maze is Dr. Rafael Perez, a urogynecologist and a member of the Baptist Health family. He's the medical director of the Pelvic Health and Continence Center at South Miami Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Rafael. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. So let's start with the basics. Um, urinary tract infections, um, many people probably had them already or certainly know people have had them. What are the more common signs and symptoms of a urinary tract infection? So usually for us, uh, women tell us that what they feel is a little burning on urination, sometimes actual pain. They see blood in the urine. They see a change in the smell or the color of the urine. And any or all of these symptoms can happen at once or separate. And they are all symptoms of a possible urinary tract infection. Um, are those symptoms like anytime a woman has those symptoms, it's definitely urinary tract infection? Or can they have some burning with urination that goes away? I mean, is it really much... As soon as a woman gets those symptoms, it's going to be a UTI? No, no, that's an excellent uh, question. Uh, uh, in women, there is a lot of symptoms that mimic a UTI, and they can be as simple as just a vaginal infection, uh, lack of estrogen in my postmenopausal uh, patients. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there is in some other patients, they have more serious conditions, such, such as interstitial cystitis, which is a difficult thing, but has very common signs and symptoms of like a UTI. So no, it needs to be investigated. Some of this will go away. So, so, uh, but nonetheless, when a woman has those symptoms, as you mentioned, whether it's burning or cloudiness or foul smelling or blood, et cetera, do we recommend they, they see a medical provider pretty quickly? What would be the uh, response to a woman when yes, they notice those, uh, those, fi those findings? Yes, that's correct. What we normally try to do is tell them to come into the office. They don't have to be seen, but or go to the lab to get a urine urinalysis and a urine culture. And it's always important to talk to them that they get a culture because a lot of times and most providers just provide a urinalysis and treat that alone when that can mislead the uh, provider to over-treat or under-treat. So actually, I, I, I want to unpack more about UTIs and, 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 and who gets them and why, but that's an important point. I think let's unpack that for a little bit. So generally, we treat them with uh, antibiotics, correct? Because it's a bacterial infection. Correct. Um, a lot of times women will say, well, I have some antibiotics in the drawer or my friend gave me an antibiotic. Why would that not be ideal? So, so the main problem we have with urinary tract infections nowadays is that most of the bacteria that cause them are resistant to most antibiotics. So our problem yeah. is to know which one we need to use so we can actually cure the UTI. A lot of patients take whatever they have at home or they bore or they go into a pharmacy and they get it and they're using the wrong antibiotic. So we will never know that. 
Now, a lot of patients says, well, then do I have that, to wait for the culture? No, we can start patients on antibiotics, but then if we have a culture cooking after we get the results, we know if we treated it right or not. The purpose of the culture is to determine what exactly antibiotic is best for the particular cause, the bacteria causing your UTI. Uh, appreciate that. So uh, we keep talking about women, but you know, men get it as well. Why, why is it more common in, in, in women? So, so it's an anatomical feature. Basically, the length of the urethra, which is a tube that connects the bladder to the outside, is only four centimeters. So it, it is easier for the bacteria to crawl, so to speak, into the bladder than it is in men because the, the length of the, of the urethra in men is closer to eight, nine uh, centimeters. So that's why women experience them more. Are there particular activities that might make a woman more likely to to get a UTI or it's just, again, just something that happens by fate? No, no, it's, it's, it's another great question. So, so the idea is that you get a lot of patients that complain about getting UTIs right after having intercourse. And, and the reason for that is that there's some mechanical disruption of the actual um, uh, the actual mucosa or the lining of the urethra that makes it easier for bacteria to crawl in. So a lot of women have been told, go ahead and urinate after intercourse. And, and, and so patients who have infections in the vagina at the time of intercourse or even without intercourse will also be more at risk of getting a, a urinary tract infection. So that would be one of the, uh, the causes, uh, but it doesn't mean... If a woman's not having intercourse, they can't get a urinary tract infection, right? There's other... Correct, because the flora of the vagina can be off. And if it's off, that has then in the, in the vagina, you have bacteria that normally is there, but now it's overgrown. And when it's overgrown, it's more likely to get into the bladder. So a lot of the things that I do in terms of treatment has to do with the whole floor of the vagina as well. And that's something that a lot of physicians really don't talk about. Obviously, it's my area of expertise. So, you know, I, I treat that more, uh, you know, a lot more than, so, than others. But it is, it is important to look at that because if you correct that, you're going to correct that recurrence rate as well. So again, that's very interesting. So you're talking about like preventive measures or things that you would do in a woman who might have recurrent urinary tract infections say, by doing this, we can decrease them in the future. Or is that yeah. what we're talking about? Yes. Can you go so through a little bit about what those preventive measures are? Yeah, absolutely. And that this is, I, I think, probably the, the most important take home message. First and foremost, what I just said about the cultures is really, really important. A lot of times, after we treat a UTI, even with the right antibiotics based on the culture, the bugs persist. So getting a negative urine culture after treatment is paramount because a lot of what we see is persistence of the UTI, not really recurrence. The same bug stays there and you can't not kill it completely. So that's number one. Number two, make sure that your vaginal flora is normal. So that usually takes cultures and we do that. And then in, from the vagina, I mean, and then balance them with probiotics. We use a lot of oral probiotics. Those are good bugs that a lot of people are heard about, lactobacilli. And what happens in women specifically is that the lactobacilli produce lactic acid, makes the pH of the vagina more acid. And that allows a control of the overgrowth of those bacteria that we don't want. If you don't have those good bugs, then it's going to be difficult for you to control the vaginal flora. Therefore, you're going to get more UTIs. So it's a whole thing. That's to fast. Do. Yes. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so two components I just want to uh, say. So when you're talking about probiotics, you're talking about oral, right? It, it, you're changing your diet for probiotics, right? Uh, well, the, pr the problem nowadays and, is that all the yep. food we consume is so overprocessed that it doesn't contain the bugs. Yeah. So when we evolved in this earth, we were eating things right off the dirt and, and, and the, those things doesn't happen anymore. And, and the main problem now we have to supplement with some uh, lactobacilli and some are specific to the vagina. So taking the ones that you probably heard about taking for the, uh, the gut is not the same, although they're very similar. So you have to pick and choose which ones are for vaginal health and those are oral. In extreme cases, we do intravaginal probiotics too, but that's a whole different ball game, but, but it's also available. But majority would be changing or some oral preparation of bringing in the healthy bacteria. That's what the, you're saying. Co correct. And for most women that have told me they have that problem, I just start them on that. And as I see them for the yearly exams, uh, I see, I hear from them that, no, I haven't had any more UTIs. And it's something as simple mm -hmm. as that, that that's really not that expensive to, to, to take that makes a huge difference in the patient's quality of life. What, um, and when you talk about urine cultures and even vaginal cultures, are these um, invasive procedures? Are they painless? Um, what would the, uh, the listeners uh, want to know? No, as a, a, a urine culture in the majority of the cases that I see will entail a, what's called a midstream urine catch, which is catching the urine with a little cup in the middle of the stream. And, and that's usually all it takes. So that's painless. Uh, and the vaginal culture does uh, require a, you know, a, a pelvic exam but it's quick and it's a swab of the area. Usually I use what's called PCR. And what that is, is that we look at molecular data instead of trying to grow the cultures. We used to do that before, but a lot of the cultures or uh, organisms from the vagina wouldn't grow. Now we identify them by DNA, which is a little bit easier. So those are the two things and they're mostly painless and, and, and quick. Um, you, I don't know if you see, but we do see men with UTIs. Can you speak a little bit about its frequency and if there's any underlying cause that might make a man more likely to get a UTI? Sure. Uh, I mean, again, that I don't see men, but I know. I caught that in the urogynecologist title. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, but, but it's okay. Uh, so because I, I get, when I've done podcasts in the past and live ones and, and I get questions from men, I, I run an interstitial cystitis support group. Uh, we have men in there too. So a lot of the times, you know, it's a matter of emptying the bladder world. So a lot of patients with, uh, what's called benign, uh, prostate hyper, uh, hyperplasia uh, is the growth of the prostate prevents you from emptying very well. And that happens. Other, other things in men is, uh, you know, uh, tumors in the bladder, which unfortunately are also more common in men than in women. Uh, and other things, but they would have other side effects as well. But you, but really in men, it's uh, any man that needs to self-catheterize because they can't drain their bladder well because of uh, the prostate being enlarged are also at risk. So those are the main things, and, and it's not that common, to be honest. So um, uh, um, a way for me to look at it, and feel free to connect me, correct me if I'm wrong, and you won't be the first, by the way, is um, a, a woman can get a urinary tract infection and quite honestly get them frequently. And it's not necessarily a sign of any pathology in their body or anatomical abnormalities, 
But when a man gets it, even though it's not 100% correlated, it may be an indicator of something else going on, whether it's a prostate issue or, or something else. Absolutely. That, that, so in, in men, if somebody's getting recurrent urinary tract infections, they should undergo a workup by a urologist because um, there might be something behind this. In women, we don't, you know, for example, a lot of women are afraid that if they say they have recurrent urinary tract infections, that somebody, is, are, the doctor is going to look inside their bladder, which they heard is very painful. You hardly ever need to do that. That's something that we do at the end of a workup that we cannot figure out why this lady is getting these UTIs. So the threshold to get medical care in a woman should be very low because obviously it's very relatively uncomplicated and can be very beneficial. So yes. we talked about the UTIs in terms of the symptoms and, and um, um, the importance to treat. What would be a concern or is there any danger if a woman has a UTI or frequent UTIs and doesn't get treated uh, urgently or, 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 go to, or at all? What can it progress uh, into? Is there any concern? Yes, the, the, the main concern is always that the uh, infection in the bladder, which is what a urinary tract infection is, ascends through the ureters, which are the tubes that connect the bladder to the kidneys, and you now get a kidney infection, which is very serious because now you need to be hospitalized, antibiotics need to, usually need to be given intravenously, and it's a much more serious, and, and the patient feels really, really horrible. So uh, the main reason to treat the urinary tract infections is to prevent those kidney infections from happening. Uh, apart from working them up also, because there might be other things like kidney stones. And, and, and again, these are a little bit more rare reasons for recurrent UTIs, but those are part of the workup as well. Very helpful. Um, my last clinical question that comes to mind um, before I just have a follow-up conversation on um, um, the exciting stuff you're doing in the, uh, the Pelvic Health and Continent Center. Um, is there an age-related component to symptoms um, does a younger person present differently than an older person? Do we see anything that um, we might have age-specific in our in our educational recommendations for uh, for symptoms uh, in people? Excellent question. So this one is uh, it, it takes a little bit of explaining. In patients who are younger, uh, the symptoms will be fairly clear most of the time. As patients get past menopause, I already explained a little bit about the change in the flora uh, that happens because of a lack of estrogen, so that needs to be addressed. In patients who are now usually over 80, their immune system doesn't truly always take care of the infections. So when you do urine cultures, you find out that they have a positive culture, but they have no symptoms or no symptoms of infection. And then the question becomes, and, and these patients are really, really frustrated, is that, doc, I'm always having a positive culture. My doctors are always treating me. And the infectious disease specialists say that we shouldn't treat these because all we're doing is creating ba uh, bacteria that's more resistant to the antibiotics that we're giving unless there's a true indication of infection. So in my older population, there is sort of a very um, delicate dance that you have to do in order to make sure that they're not getting an infection because in that population, a kidney infection is a lot more serious and that they are not given antibiotics over and over and over. So these patients require a little bit more closer follow-up, but that's the only difference in presentation and in, in, in that spectrum, you know, on that end of, you know, 
a lifetime kind of thing. It's not everybody either. Late, older people. Yeah. But, but that would be the uh, recurrent, your, recurrent positive cultures with those symptoms, keep prescribing antibiotics. There's a downstream consequence, um, which again goes to the main message to the listeners is you know, listen to your body, seek uh, professional help early with someone with the expertise in this area, and they will do a customized, individualized assessment of what's going on with you. Um, don't listen to what your neighbor says or what your, <laughs> your family member tells you you need to do. Um, this is great. Um, last question is a great opportunity to expose a little bit of the great work you guys are doing. Tell us a little bit about the, the focus and the actions um, and the expertise within the Pelvic Health and Continent Center at South Miami Hospital. Well, as, as you probably know, is um, urinary stress incontinence and pelvic prolapse is a very common uh, factor in women after um, menopause and has to do with the lack of estrogen. Some people only believe that uh, it, it only applies to people who had vaginal deliveries and things like that. And it really doesn't. It's really all across the board. So uh, about 50% of women will experience either incontinence or prolapse. So this is a huge population. And what we, tr what I tried to do when I set up the pelvic center at South Miami was that as a urogynecologist, I can actually um, diagnose and treat the problem surgically, but there was no, um, no physical therapy aspect. And when I trained in Baltimore, one of the things that we had was that kind of a very strong physical therapy um, uh, component. And that component is what we set up at the center. We have patients who call in, they get diagnosed properly. And what I mean by that, there's some testing called urodynamics. And basically, it's just a long test name for doing a stress test for the bladder uh, function. Just the same way we do a, you do a stress test for uh, cardiac function and for uh, problems, we do a stress test for the blood. We fill it up. We ask the patient to cough it down, do all these things. We do that there. It's a sophisticated machine. We measure pressures. There's a lot of stuff that we measure that makes it simpler for us to treat and know what the adequate treatment. But the most important part, I think, is that a lot of women um, that have physical therapy do not need any surgical intervention. So in Europe, for example, uh, Europe wants patients to have physical therapy right after delivery, six, six weeks, and whenever they're thinking of getting surgery, they have to have physical therapy first before they actually attempt the surgery. The data oh, shows about 60% yeah. of better uh, patients don't need any surgeries. So what we've created in the Pelvic uh, Continent Center is a one-stop shop where you can do all of that, and we have a referral for physical therapy by experience pelvic floor specialists in physical therapy. So this is not the same physical therapy that when you, you know, twist an ankle or a knee or something. These are patients that are going to show you how to strengthen your pelvic floor so you don't have the problems that we were talking about. So comprehensive, multidisciplinary, evidence-based um, approach and individualized approach to the woman with these complaints or with these concerns, which is uh, exciting and unique and, and much appreciated by our community. Um, thanks again, Raphael. You've been very informative. Um, I hope the uh, listeners uh, gained a lot of insights and, um, uh, and, and education uh, from this discussion. Anything you'd like to end with, either to reiterate or something we may have missed that you feel important uh, for the uh, listeners to know? No, just, uh, you know, in, in women, don't be afraid to tell your provider. If it's a, just a good old gynecologist, obstetrician, 
I have a problem. I'm leaking. There's no shame in this. 50% of women after menopause have it. So please tell the patients because people really do not talk about this because, of course, there's shame in it. But the, but the idea is that it is a common condition and all common conditions we treat in medicine. Why shouldn't we treat this? Right. Well said. No stigma associated with uh, medical conditions. Um, again, thanks again. And uh, to our listeners, uh, if you like what you've heard on this or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend, tell a family member. That's the only way to grow podcast audiences. If you have any comments or suggestions for future topics, uh, email us. The email is uh, baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.